You're about to listen to a Second City Works presentation brought to you in partnership with WGN Radio. Subscribe on your favorite podcast streaming platform or listen on WGNRadio.com and be sure to share. The Second City is back open for live shows, classes, and customized corporate workshops and events. But we also have all those things available in virtual formats. For more information, go to secondcity.com. My guest today on the podcast is Barry Nailbuff who is Milton Steinbach Professor at Yale School of Management, where for 30 years he has taught negotiation, innovation, strategy, and game theory. He's the author of many, many books. Uh, his latest is called Split the Pie, A Radical New Way to Negotiate. This guy's really entertaining and interesting and just has a whole new approach to the art of negotiation, which includes some, some improv. Uh, enjoy the pod. <music> Second City is a world-famous comedy theater, and it got so famous because it has produced generation after generation of comedy superstars. That didn't happen by magic. Second City's improvisational pedagogy fuels great performance, and the same practices that made stars of everyone from Bill Murray to Tina Fey can be applied for success offstage, at work, at home, and in the world. I'm Kelly Leonard, Executive Director of Insights and Applied Improvisation at the Second City. This podcast is about collaborative conversations, seeking connections, and finding a better way. This is getting the essay end. Days can be counted by the money spent. Today was just another better left unsaid. Days can be counted by the time to rent. Tomorrow's just another like the one that comes next. The corner of the highway that leads to the job at the desk by the boss with the elegant watch. Nail buff, welcome to the show. Thanks for inviting me. So you live in a pizza town, and I live in a pizza town. Um, but I think uh, your pizza is easier uh, to split up than my pizza. Which is- and our pizza is better for sure. Well, and I like your pizza. I'm not a pizza snob. I like your pizza. I've had your pizza. I also like ours. Uh, it's a great metaphor. It's a great analogy that starts the book. So can you kind of take us through this pizza thing? Absolutely. Great. And in the spirit of yes and, Chicago deep dish is good for me too. Okay, great. (laughs) The issue that happens in many negotiations is people are confused about what they're negotiating over, which sounds kind of funny. Mm -hmm. I think it's true. Mm -hmm. And the example that we start off with is there is a 12-slice pie of pizza. And the question is, how are two participants, we'll call them Alice and Bob, are going to divide it up? And to know that, we also have to know what's going to happen if they don't reach an agreement. And so we'll assume somewhat arbitrarily that Alice will get four slices and Bob will get two if they can't reach a deal. Mm-hmm. Now, a lot of folks think that since Alice is going to get twice as much as Bob if they don't have a deal, Bob is going to be more desperate. Alice is going to be in a stronger position. And so the end result is they think those 12 slices should be divided in the 8 to 4 or the 2 to 1 ratio. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that's right. I think that misses what the negotiation is really about. And by the way, when I say a lot of people, we've done surveys on this, and that is the standard answer. Mm-hmm. What I think the negotiation is about is that they can get 4 plus 2 or 6 slices on their own with no deal. 
The reason they're doing this negotiation is to go from those six slices up to 12. So there's another six slices that's available if they could reach a deal. And to get those slices, Alice needs Bob every bit as much as Bob needs Alice. And therefore, that's why I think they should divide those six, three and three. Which means Alice gets the four on her own, plus three for seven. And Bob gets the two on his own, plus three for five. So this is the, the idea here is that we're... we. The, the the tricky thing in negotiation is actually measuring this pie correctly. That is what the game is about. Okay. Absolutely. And if you don't know what you're negotiating over, you're going to make arguments that don't make any sense. Right. Right. And I, it, it strikes me too that like this also falls in line with like our brains want to sort of see patterns and we're making assumptions because this looks like a double and so she deserves double. And what, one of the great things about the book is you have all sorts of real uh, life experience that also brings to bear. Uh, and your chapter two actually starts with this. And you tell a story about a friend who had a domain name that a squatter took from them uh, when they registered for the trademark. They registered without a lawyer. And can, can you tell us that story? Because I, I think that's a lovely one. Too. Yeah, my, my friend was an idiot. Uh, he, <laughs> uh, he filed for the trademark and didn't realize that as soon as you file for a trademark, it's public. That's what happens when you don't hire the lawyer. Uh, thought I could save a little bit of money. And there's this troll out there uh, who will call Edward, because that was his name, and Edward sees this trademark being filed and says, oh, let me go and buy that name.com. And he does. And next thing you know, my friend gets an email saying, hey, for 2500 bucks, I'll sell you back this domain name, which I'm pretty sure you want. Now, my friend thought this thing was worth $20,000. I mean, it was a really valuable domain name to him, not to anybody else. Yeah. Uh, you know, you might like kellyleonard.com, but not, there's not a big market for it outside really? of some parts of Chicago. <laughs> uh, so my friend is uh, kind of a little worried and nervous what to do. Uh, okay, 2500 is still better than 20000 so that's good. He discovers that I can which is the company, the organization that monitors and controls domain name registration, has a process for dispute resolution. And that process, uh, they charge $1,300. Mm-hmm. And what Edward had done is called registration in bad faith. And Edward was going to lose. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, that, and so my friend writes back to Edward and says, look, you know, 2500 bucks, uh, no way. I would rather pay ICANN thirteen hundred dollars, and uh, then pay you twenty five, and I'll and I'll win. Yeah. And not only that, I looked it up, and the last three times you went there, you lost. Uh, uh, so you know this too. Uh-huh. And uh, and note by the way, what Edward had done is what people often do in negotiations is throw out this really high anchor to try and soften you up. Yeah. 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 Uh, didn't work here, and so. Edward writes back and says, 1100 I'll come down to eleven. Uh, and, uh, all right, so now there's sort of some nice movement. At this point, my friend says, well, I don't think you get it. That if I were to pay you $1,100, you are up $1,100, i am only up 200 That's not really fair. Mm-hmm. Uh, it'd be like me offering you $200, uh, so I'd be up 1100 Right. That the reason we're having this negotiation, the pie here, if you'd like, 
is to save the $1,300 that would otherwise go to ICANN. And the strange thing about this negotiation is that my friend needs Edward just as much as Edward needs my friend. Because if they can't reach an agreement, that $1,300 goes away. Yeah. My friend's going to get the domain name no matter what. He's either going to buy it from Edward or ICANN's going to give it to him. So the issue is they're really not actually negotiating over the domain name. What they're negotiating over is saving this $1,300. Mm-hmm. And my point here is that once you realize that, now you can see they're actually in completely symmetric positions. So my friend says, hey, we'll split it 650-650. I'll be up 650. You can be up 650. And Edward says, uh, no, no, I'm, I'm going to uh, 900. I'll come down to 900. Uh, and look how far I moved. I moved all the way from 2,500 down to 900. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, uh, and that's my last offer. That's it. No more. Take it or leave it. So now he's trying to do the threatening the deadline, the ultimatum, sort of pulling out every trick in the book. Yep. And at that point, my friend actually doesn't answer the email. And a week later, Edward comes back and says, okay, I'll take the 6,500. Mm-hmm. And to me, what's interesting about this is that Edward does not care about fairness. Edward doesn't care about the pie. But my friend, by explaining this notion of what the pie is and what's fair, convinced Edward that he cared about those things. Yeah. And Edward's number is arbitrary. 900, 1100, he's moving all over the place. My friend picks a number and sticks with it. Mm -hmm. And this is the large point, which is principles beats arbitrary. Yeah. Can I take you back to the 1970s and a famous experiment done at Harvard by Ellen Langer on Xerox machines and copies? I don't know if you're aware of this one. I know what you're talking about, yeah. So uh, in this experiment, she had her research assistants go to somebody, uh, in those days they called it a Xerox machine, and say, in case A, can I make five copies? And 60% of people said yes. And then she said, can I make five copies because I want to make copies? 93% of people said yes. And then it was, can I make five copies because I'm in a rush? 94 percent said yes. And people took away from that experiment that if you provided a reason, whether whether it was a good reason or a bad reason, people would say yes to you. Because mm-hmm. I want to make copies because I want to make copies. Like, what else are you going to do with this machine? What they forget is the second half of the experiment. In the second half, the person asked to make 20 copies, not five. Mm-hmm. And now when the person says, can I use a Xerox machine because I want to make copies, they got no love. That didn't work. When they said, I want to use the Xerox machine because I'm in a rush, then some people let them go ahead. And my point of this is that to succeed in negotiation, you need to make principled arguments, arguments that actually make sense, not just, please give me more money because I want more money. Mm-hmm. Understanding the pie and understanding what's really going on in this negotiation is what allows you to take a principled stand and stick with it. And one of the things that you talk about is that, and I'm going to quote the book, uh, quote, a great way to convince someone that their solution isn't right is to give them an example where they would end up being the disadvantaged party under their rule, end quote. 
That's brilliant. And then that seems to happen all over the place. And you, you brought it up in, in these examples of like, if it was reversed, you would be the person on the outs. And that just feels like it, like a very hard room to escape once you have that knowledge. Absolutely. So people think that this proportional division is working in their favor when they're the larger party. Mm-hmm. And I'm not asking them to imagine they're the smaller party. I can just show you examples where by if the numbers were a little different, proportional division would end up being to your disadvantage. Yeah. And therefore, if you wouldn't accept it in this case, why would you expect me to accept it in the case you're proposing? And the reason ultimately is the things we're trying to make proportional to are arbitrary. And so if you're trying to divide up a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, and it's like, well, okay, how do you take proportion of peanut butter to jelly? Uh that doesn't make sense. Now, with the pizza, four and two, yeah, those are numbers. I know how to take those ratios. But things aren't always comparable. And and this is, I mean, you you came up with these ideas in your class at Yale, right? Uh, yes, and I also took them from the Talmud. Uh, the, Talk about that. Uh, the, these Talk ideas about. are actually 2,000 years old, uh-huh. where the Talmud gives examples of how negotiations can be resolved. The Talmud doesn't go and say, calculate the pie and split it. But what looks like arbitrary rules all come together when you see and reinterpret their examples through this lens of the pie. I, I'm making a note because it was it, it, when I was talking to Dan Pink, we, we noted that Buddha and Peter Drucker were coming up. And I love that in this, it's the Talmud and a business class at Yale are coming up. Absolutely. Why not? Okay, talk to us about the importance of BATNAS, that, that actor, acronym, because that that's really important and runs through the whole book. Absolutely. Uh, if I could do just a coda on the, uh, yeah. the troll story, of course, many of your listeners and fans will have figured out that friend was me. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, so I shouldn't keep that hidden uh, in the I end. you're right. Uh, and uh, there are two other morals. Uh, one is buy the damn domain name first. Uh, don't, don't wait. Uh, it also shows, by the way, the cost of trying to make a high anchor. Uh, this uh, right. unreasonable number that people often start with in a negotiation, uh, that anchor can sink you. Because when you're asking for 2500 you're showing that you're trying to take advantage of the other side. Yeah. And when the other side knows something, then you have to make these giant movements, 2500 down to 1100 down to 900 And the other side says, hey, you're spaghetti. You know, you're just flexible. There's nothing that sticks with uh, in terms of what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I'm guessing you are really going to move to my place, whereas I don't have to move. I've made an argument. You're just throwing things on the wall. That's okay. BATNA. What BATNA stands for uh, is best alternative to a negotiated agreement. It's what you're going to end up doing if you don't do this deal. Mm-hmm. And there are three things you need to know in a negotiation. You need to know your BATNA. So in this negotiation of the domain name, it was paying $1,300 to ICANN. Yeah. It's what's the other side's BATNA. So Edward's BATNA is living with this useful, useless domain name to him. It's worth zero. Mm-hmm. And what it is that we can collectively do by coming together. And in that case, the collection was actually a net of zero. Because anything I'm giving, he's getting. And so we're going to go from minus 1300 to ICANN, 
to zero, so a gain of 1,300. And so the pi is how much we can create together compared to our collective badness. And people are often scared in negotiation, and they say, well, if I let somebody else know what my batna is, oh my gosh, they're going to push me to that, and I'll just get a buck more than that. Right. Note in this case, I let Edward know what, his, what my batna was. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean I was going to pay him twelve ninety nine, or twelve hundred, because I also could push him down to one hundred. And the same reason why he's not going to take one hundred, I'm not going to take twelve hundred. I'm not going to pay twelve hundred. So this is just a, a radically different idea around negotiation than our culture has spoken about, because it's so pro social and it's 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 all about what what we make together. And 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 I imagine that like. Yes, it's it's going to be hard to convince some people of, of changing or thinking that that's true of other people that they're not just playing a zero sum game as well. Yes, and that also suggests a different way of starting a negotiation. People yeah. may jump too quickly into here's my number, here's my offer, here's my ask, here's what you got to do. What I'd like to see people do is start the negotiation by discussing how we'll negotiate. Mm-hmm. The goal in the negotiation is, in my view, to create a large pie and to split it. Mm-hmm. If we can agree on that, now we've turned the negotiation from something contentious to something where we're working together to make a big pie because we're both going to benefit 50-50 from that. I've, I've been in both situations. I imagine you have as well with nuances on, on either end. Yeah. Uh, and one of the reasons I think we don't always get into the better, the happier situation, is that we allow the negotiation to start on the wrong foot. Now, it's possible you're negotiating with somebody who is uh, a jerk. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that's, you know, I'm I'm not happy about that, but I'd rather know that early on. I'd rather say, okay, so the person, I say, let's get a big pie and split it, and the person says to me, no, actually, I want to take advantage of you. Uh, That's that's why I go, okay, good. I'm aware of that, so now I know who I'm uh, working with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and another uh, uh, story you tell, and this is, again, a personal story uh, from, from your life, um, is uh, Honest Tea. Sure. Uh, which, which, of course, I know Honest Tea. I, like, I go to Whole Foods, and, and that's, that was you. That was your company. Yes, and you're looking so healthy. So thank you. I'm glad that you're... Uh, <laughs> yes. We're able to quench your thirst in a in, years off my life. I, I gained years. I added years to your life. I hope added, added years. We don't. Added we years. drop pounds. Add years. That's drop pounds. Add years. That's what I was going for. There we go. Uh, drop your AC hemoglobin AC one level. Uh, raise your happiness. Uh, the uh, I was incredibly fortunate to have a chance to work with one of my former students, Seth Goldman, and start this company. Uh, and Three, after 10 years, things were going well, and Coca-Cola was able to buy a tea company not with its former partner, Nestle. They were making something called Nestle in the past. Yep. Uh, and they approached us, but there was a problem. And the problem is that Coca-Cola is really good at bringing companies from $100 million to a billion. They're also pretty good at taking companies from $50 million down to zero. And we were in the below 50 million category. Mm-hmm. And so the risk was that if they work, if the, we went with them, uh, it would fail. So they said, uh, 
let's agree that we'll buy you in three years hmm. so that you can grow to the size that you're really going to work in our organization. Yeah. And during those three years, we're going to help you with manufacturing, with purchasing, with distribution. We're, uh, and it's like, okay, that's all good. And he said, but there's one problem. And the problem is, we don't really want to pay more for all the things we're doing to help you. And it's like, yeah, that's that. You know, I I can see that. That's kind of a reasonable argument. Mm-hmm. And my response was, well, actually, the goal of this deal is to create a big pie, and I want to split it with you. And so it's true that we can't do these things without you, but you can't do these things without our platform, our brand, our customers. And so what we should do is you don't pay full price on the things you help us with, but you pay half price. And so in the first hour of our negotiation, we agreed that they would pay full price on sales up to some level X and half price to the extent our sales in three years exceeded X. Now, we didn't agree on what X was, and we didn't necessarily agree right away on what full price was. But we agreed that the purpose of the negotiation was to make sales go above some number X. Let's see how big we can make that happen and split that pie. Yeah. So, so the idea here is you don't have to know, you know, where you're going if you just agree on the basic structure of how it might look in the future, depending on where these sales are. Yeah. Sometimes it's hard to know what the pie is today. Yeah. But we'll figure it out as it happens so we can split it when we know what it is. And that ended up working out, right? Uh, it did. Uh, we didn't count on the recession that happened during that time. That was a, yeah. a kind, of, kind of a bit of a bummer. Right. And we didn't count on our kombucha products turning accidentally alcoholic. That was another... Uh, all right, you should mention that. That was another little challenge. No, well, well that's uh, bad memories here. That's, okay, all right, we can all skip over it. Yes, but, uh, but yes, it all worked, and uh, it put us on the same team. And so that was... Uh, the first time that the pie theory had in some ways less left the classroom and gone into the world. Oh, okay. And so, like, would the pie framework work for people who are normally in a disadvantageous, I'm saying this word wrong. Dis- disadvantageous? Thank you. Uh, position? What I think is true about the pie theory is that it helps people who've been historically marginalized, historically thought of as being the low-power side, actually recognize they have more power than they previously may have appreciated. Because it shows their value in relationship to the thing at hand. Yeah, I mean, you know, we're sort of honest. He's a little guy. Coke is the Goliath. Uh, yeah. In our first pizza case, uh, Bob has two slices. Alice has four. Bob has as much power in the negotiation. What's interesting is people penalize the side with a low batna doubly. They penalize them once for having a low BATNA, but then they say they should get a less, a smaller fraction of the pie. And my view is, no, I know they're starting with a smaller amount, but the pie is what we can create together. And I don't care what your size is, you are equally necessary to make that happen. That's right. That's right. Uh, let's go back because I, we never uh, fully explored uh, the Talmud and, and how that fits into this. And I would love you to uh, talk about the principle of the divided cloth. Uh, happy to do that. It's a uh, somewhat more technical 
uh, case that uh, essentially you have two parties, uh, we call them Abel and Cain, if you'd like, uh, who are making a claim. And uh, there's a cloth that's of length one. uh, And you could have that Abel is claiming the entire cloth uh, and Cain is asking for half. So you might say, well, Abel is asking for twice as much as Cain, so he should be getting twice as much of the cloth. What the Talmud says is, uh, no, uh, really what's going on is that by Cain asking for half, has conceded half to Abel. Mm -hmm. And really only half of the cloth is what's in dispute, as you take the disputed amount, and that's what you divide in two. Yeah. And of course, by the way, if Cain could have made a bigger claim, or Abel could have made a bigger claim, they could get more. So the situation of where the claims come from is separate from how it is that we divide them up. And in the story from the Talmud, they come from what somebody left in a will, or what debts somebody had. Uh, And so you can't just go and say, hey, my claim is bigger arbitrarily. There has to be a principle uh, behind those claims. And ultimately, the disputed amount ends up being connected to what the pie is. Mm -hmm. And so it's a way of moving away from proportional division to equal division. What you can think of as proportional division is treating each dollar the same way. And what the pie approach is doing is treating each person the same way. Yeah, that seems better. Uh, Fairness is about recognizing that uh, you need two hands to, to shake. It's not how many dollars in my wallet are shaking your dollars. It's my hand is shaking your hand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, in quite a few podcasts lately on the Yes And podcast, we've been talking about the importance of saying no. And your colleague, Zoe Chance, and my, my dear friend, uh, we just spoke to her about uh, teaching her students that it's okay to say no. And, and you actually say in the book, quote, getting to know is a great way of getting to know the other side. Yes. So what are the what's the known known there? Uh well, let's just be clear. The second no is a K-N-O-W, uh, yeah. as opposed to uh, a double N-O. Um, one of the things I, I want people to do in negotiation is give the other side what it is that they want. And I say that not just because you're a pushover, because you're nice. It's because if the other side gets what they want, you can get what you want. Mm-hmm. Well... One way to figure out what the other side wants is, what does the other side not want? Mm. And things that they do not want to give up are telling you things that are really important to them. So those are things that you should be focused on in terms of giving them. Uh, Oftentimes, people are happier to answer a question in the negative than in the positive. So if I ask you, where are you most flexible? You're kind of seeing where I'm going with that. You say, no, 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 I'm not, I'm not prepared to say that. If I say, where are you least flexible? Oh, yeah, I'm going to tell you what I don't want to do. But now you've told me where you're least flexible. By implication, the other places are where you have greater flexibility. Yeah, and this this uh, makes me think of, uh, um, in our work with the behavioral science community, uh, knowing that people don't tend to tell you what they want. They don't tend to share details and that you know, we, we actually built an, an improvisational exercise over just that. Even the most minor information that you give over to someone creates a point of connection that you that m- might surprise you. Um, and so you really probably got to work at that. Uh, 
Absolutely. I, uh, one, a great experience for me was I had a, uh, I had a chance to take some improv courses uh, from a, a program that rhymes with Woe Is Me. Uh, and, uh, and this idea of what I want to do is make the other side look great. Yes. Uh, I want you to be successful. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's not about my taking the spotlight and shining, but the more light I can cast on you, the better it's going to be. And that is an approach I think is critical in negotiation. Yeah. Because when you get what you want, you want to do the deal. And therefore, you're motivated to give me what it is that I want. Yeah. Uh, uh, the first time we talked to Dan Pink, and this was the first like few episodes of the podcast about four years ago, uh, he was thinking back to his experience as a, as a lawyer and recognizing that he would always go and go, there is a yes there. There's always a yes there. If we make that assumption, we're going to be able to find that yes together. Mm-hmm. And that is a different way of operating in the universe. And I think people who take improv, because it's an embodied experience, you don't, you just don't think it. You feel it. And that is a whole other game changer in terms of how, how you walk out into the world. So I'm going to ask you in a second for your yes and story. But before we do that, um, you talk about uh, your colleague at Yale, uh, uh, Dalian Kane. Am I saying the name right? Dalian rhymes with alien. Kane. Yep, Dalian Kane. Um, and he talks when he does ex- executive training uh, and having these executives think about negotiating with a young child who doesn't want to get out of the swimming pool. Mm-hmm. Which may seem strange here. Like, why would you want to think them? But then when you talk it through, it's like, that's kind of brilliant. Thank you. The idea here is we can't always get our way in a negotiation, but we can always be understood. The reason that the young child is crying when you ask them, when you take them out of the pool, is they think you're making them go out of the pool because... You don't understand their perspective, how much fun the pool is, how, how would they want to spend the rest of their life there, how great it is. And if only they could explain that to you, you would change your mind. Now, at that age, they don't have the vocabulary to do that, and so they are frustrated, and as a result, wah, is what comes out. Yeah. Turns out, adults are the same way, that we end up arguing in a negotiation because we think we're not getting our way because the other side doesn't understand our perspective. And what Dalian suggests, what I heartily endorse, mm-hmm. is making the other side's arguments for them. Hmm. Because one way of demonstrating that you understand their perspective is to take their perspective and say, yes, I understand why you think this makes a lot of sense. Uh and am I right? Have I correctly done this? Uh, people are scared of doing it because they think it's giving legitimacy to this. Right, right, right. And the answer is yes, it is. But it's not enough just to make their arguments. Now you have to show why those arguments don't carry the day. Hmm. If you just leave it at, hey, here are these arguments, sure. It's, there are these other factors which we judge to be more important. And what happens, it's the classic opposite of improv. It's every argument they make, I think I have to denigrate. As opposed to saying, I understand why you want to do this. And in your shoes, I would, yeah, I would do the same thing. And it's a legitimate perspective. Mm-hmm. Uh, and therefore, uh, it's 
it not just uh, reduces what they feel they need to say because they don't have to repeat your perspective, but they also understand that they're not getting their way uh, as a result of being misunderstood. They're not winning because they weren't misunderstood, uh, not understood. Gosh, I got to say that right. Uh, there are uh, other factors that are ending up being more important, and you have appreciated their perspective. Yeah, so. and, and and so so really, it's it is it's it's not a yes but so much as a, a a yes and as an opportunity to find maybe another route to solve the thing they want that they maybe didn't consider. Absolutely, we can uh, work together to come up with what are people's interests rather than their positions. Even in the case of a zero sum case where I'm going to get more and you're going to get less, mm-hmm. uh, it's a explanation of okay. And with Edward, you're asking for 900. I know why you want as much get as much money as you can. You're greedy, and you, you don't have that many opportunities to take advantage of suckers like me. I got that. Mm-hmm. And in your shoes, I'd want to get as much money too. Yeah. But please understand that you don't have more power here than I do, and that you need me to say yes. And I'm prepared to do something which I think is fair, 50-50, but I don't have any reason to go more than that. You said that you made a big movement. You said that you moved from 2,500 all the way down to 900. Well, actually, 2,500 to 1,300 doesn't count because until you got cheaper than I can, I don't care what you're asking. Right, right. And you think you've moved a lot. You've moved, from my view, from uh, from 1,300 to 900, which is 400. I've moved from zero all the way up to 650. Mm -hmm. So I want to address what they're saying. I want to recognize, I would say, I understand why you're doing all these things. Uh, But I also have other factors that I want you to consider, too. Uh, The way we always end the podcast is we ask our guests for a yes and story. Do you have a story for us? How could I be here and not have that? Exactly. Just, uh, I, know, I know what the rules are here. I know. Yeah, and the book is really a lot of like yeses, yes buts, yes and. I mean, it's, it's no, it's, we're not yes butting. We are yes anding, my friend. Okay, good. Uh, so I'm going to take a little bit of a uh, twist on this and give you a yes if story. Okay. Uh, a lot of negotiations, people say no unless, and I want people to turn it into. Yes, if. Mm-hmm. When you're asking for a salary increase, a raise, the person on the other side doesn't necessarily know they're going to succeed if they give you what you're asking for. And if you want to have them go out on a limb, make the extra step for you, let them know that this is what it will take to make it happen. Mm-hmm. In my own life, I learned this lesson from my daughter, Rachel. Mm-hmm. I was negotiating with her And I really wanted her to join the high school math team. This was not her favorite activity. Uh, She ended up being an English major to give you a sense of uh, where we're headed in life. Uh, And so her starting point was like, uh, I don't see uh, how this is going to happen. But instead of saying no to me, she said, yes, if we can have a dog. Oh, nice. And uh, I said, done. Mm. Now, it wasn't the best negotiation I ever did because I should have said for four years on the math team, not just one year on the math team. 
I left that contract a little bit incomplete. Did you like the dog? Uh, the dog uh, gave us 13 years of great joy. Right. Uh, exactly. So uh, in the end, it was... It was uh, the dog from the pound. From the pound, uh, was happy. Uh, our daughters were happy. Uh, we got lots of exercise. Again, yeah. though, it was if you want this to happen, I'm prepared to say yes. If you go and do this, yeah, yeah. And then perhaps the other side. There's no real reason to ever say no to the other side. Let them say no to you. Now, of course, things are unethical, illegal. Okay, I don't. I'm, don't say yes if. But in general, I love the idea of letting the other person know that if they're able to make this happen, you are prepared to sign up and go ahead. Uh, when our daughter was like around 10, Nora, uh, she wanted to get a raise and we're like, well, I'm not, not sure. Uh, let, let's sort of talk about it. And that night she came in and she had put on like a tie and she got like a suit coat. And then she had her PowerPoint, which was a bunch of like <laughs> sheets of paper where she laid out the whole thing. And she, her two parents have worked at Second City for over 30 years. We're both in comedy. And it was so funny. I'm like, you did this. This was like you you made a performance and it's like and we and we did. And it was just simply sort of like, OK, that's that. that I, I, don't, I don't know how that fits in, but it just made me think about it. Uh, it's she she took the extra step. She gave you a principled argument. She didn't just say, give me more money because I want more money. Yep. Here's what I'm prepared to do. And here's why. Yep. Yep. Uh, yep. And with a bit of a show, and with a bit of a show. So it's all good. The book is called Split the Pie, a radical new way to negotiate. Barry Nailbuff, thank you for coming on the show. Wow. Thank you. And come to New Haven and get some really good pizza. I'll do it. Getting to Yes And is produced by The Second City and WGN Radio. Our producer and editor is Ashley Byhun, and we are supported at The Second City by Mike Farinaccio and Colleen Fahey. The music you hear at the beginning and end of each podcast is by Jukebox the Ghost. If you're interested in knowing more or working with The Second City, go to www.secondcity.com or email us at works at secondcity.com.
Survive